0: Welcome to another Sonic Nuance Electronics Podcast, focused on topics of interest to anyone involved in live and recorded music. Today's interview is with Daniel Walker, keyboardist and accordion player in Ann Wilson of Heart's solo band. I'm backstage here with Daniel Walker. The band here is preparing for the Ann Wilson and Cheap Trick show tonight. Daniel was kind enough to agree to participate in this interview. Daniel, nice to meet you.
1: Good to be here. Good to meet you too.
0: I would like to focus on what your history as well as what it's like to be a touring musician. I think some of my listeners would benefit from hearing about what it's really like so tell me about how you became a keyboard player.
1: So I've been playing piano since I was a little kid, and then really playing keyboards started when I was 14 or 15. I had a, uh, I had a guitar teacher, and um, the, uh, after a few lessons, he wisely instructed me after he saw me playing piano that I should stick to the keyboards <laughs> because there would uh, there would be a lot more work. <laughs> Just because of supply and demand. And that was really the best advice anyone's ever given me. It's been, you know, pretty much every gig I've ever gotten, including this one, has been due mainly to the fact that there just aren't that many keyboard players to go around. So it's a, it's a lot easier to, to get lucky when it's a narrow field. Wow. Um, so it's kind of like base players. Same for bass <laughs> players. Exactly. Right. You, you got to be a certain amount of, you know, competent and good and easy to work with. And then other than that, it's just, you know, it's like any other business. It's all word of mouth. So the best thing to do is just to play with as many different people as you possibly can. So you have a nice wide network of people that know you're
0: playing. I was going to ask about the importance of networking, and uh, you already hit that. You touched on some of the other instruments you played, guitar, what are some of the other instruments you play and possibly live?
1: Well, live, you know, really I've, I've had people ask before, right before they offered me a gig, by the way, do you double on guitar or, <laughs> and, you know, I always just have to honestly answer no, you know, unless it's something extremely simple. I play a little bit of guitar still, but I, d- I don't inflict it on the general public. Uh, but uh, accordion is, is kind of a, another double, you know, and it's just piano keyboard accordion, so it wasn't too steep of a learning curve to climb. And I'm, I still don't really consider myself a specialist. Real accordion players look at me and go, huh, oh, yeah, here's another piano player that thinks he can play accordion. But uh, it was a really nice addition, and it gets used a lot, even on gigs like this with Anne, uh, you know, that you would think would be more of a straight ahead rock gig. She got really excited about having that other color in there and just a bit of sonic and visual variety in the show, having that different instrument. So it, it gets used quite a lot with Ann.
0: Accordion has a nice flavor to it. That it doesn't get used a whole lot. Can you tell me about some of your influences on the keys?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, the big influences for me, you know, growing up, I just sort of, Played by year, mostly. I had classical lessons, which I was constantly rebelling against uh, from when I was four or five until I was maybe 12 or 13. But I think maybe around age 11 or 12, my, uh, my Uncle Ben gave me a, a Billy Joel album, Piano Man, and I just fell in love with that whole thing. And uh, learned all those songs by ear and then went back to Cold Spring Harbor and learned all those by ear and then basically worked my way through the entire Billy Joel catalog. I celebrate his entire catalog, really. And, uh, you know, and then by the time I got done with that project, you know, my friends were, uh, you know, starting to play guitar and drums and trying to get little garage bands together. Through Billy Joel, you know, you you come into contact with Ray Charles and Steve Winwood and Leon Russell and, and other people like that 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 Billy used on records. Also, you know, my parents when I was growing up, my mom in particular was, you know, the Beatles were always on, Paul Simon was always on, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of old Motown and Soul was always on. So those players, Spooner Oldham, Felix and uh, just great B3 players. The soundtrack to The Big Chill was stuck in our tape deck when I was a kid, so that had Wider Shade of Pale on it and Mm -hmm. Good Lovin' and a a few other big Hammond tunes, so that's really kind of what got me falling in love with the Hammond sound, even though I didn't get my first B3 until many years later.
0: Quite heavy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They aren't light. (laughs) I'd like to talk about life as a traveling musician to give my listeners a sense of what's involved in this profession first of all can you talk about getting gigs how you got this great position with Anne, for example
1: well yeah that was basically just another case of it's it's who you know the bass player andy stoller thanks andy is just kind of a man about town in seattle one of the first call bass players for random one-off tribute gigs and and things like that Uh, recording sessions and and other work like that that's how Andy met Ann actually he was in a uh, many years ago in a sort of a one off house band for a a benefit event of some sort with Mike McCready and Mm -hmm. Ann Wilson was one of the guest singers on it and uh, they just did one tune together and and she remembered him and then years later when she put together her solo project the Ann Wilson thing Mm -hmm. uh, she called Andy up for that Then a couple of years later when she decided to do an Ann Wilson of Heart solo tour and there was an opening for a keyboard player and he recommended a few guys. And I think if I understand it correctly, basically, I was the one who said, sure, I'll sing harmony vocals when that question came up, (laughs) which was I was a little apprehensive about that, but it actually has turned out really well. Mostly low harmonies were what they needed. It's like, okay, I can handle that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's you know this it just this gig came to Andy and then Andy threw it to me through just a series of somebody you knew from some random gig. So, you know, like I said earlier, really, that's my best advice is just to be available and to say yes to everything you can, assuming you're not gonna embarrass yourself on it and just play your best everywhere you go. People will remember you.
0: Good advice. I should say, before I I came here, I did some research. I love this line from Ann Wilson about you. I don't know if you've seen this. She said about Daniel, he is the best keyboard player I've played with, bar none. (laughs) So that is quite a uh, endorsement she she to me she could sing the phone book and i'd love it she's got the best female rock vocal i've in my opinion
1: no arguments here it's <laughs> I, I did see that. I did see that quote from Ann, and I remember thinking, boy, I don't want to pick a fight with the boss, but I can I can name a, quite a few heart keyboard players <laughs> who's playing I enjoy more than my own. There, there have been a number of really great ones over the years, starting with Howard leese and... Uh, oh, yes. And uh, Chris Joyner is one of my favorite uh, session players in L.A. He he did a stint in heart. Debbie Sher is a fantastic keyboard player. You know, there there have been some great ones over the years. So, yeah, it really meant a lot to me when she said that.
0: Yeah, that would have made my day. <laughs> Back to uh, life as a musician. Can you talk about travel? What does that entail? What does it look like? Are you flying around, driving? What?
1: Well, you know, in most of the bands I played with up until this point, uh, it's been uh, fly dates where setting aside local and regional work where you're just hopping in the van. I've done a few national van tours. That's not a fun way to live, and I don't miss it at all. But uh, <laughs> love you guys. <laughs> but no, then after that, there was a there was a point where mostly I was the guy that was getting flown in for special occasions as an additional piece. Like if somebody was playing a big festival gig or playing on a TV show, they'd fly me out. And then, so I'm sort of the self-sufficient guy that gets myself there, brings my own gear, does my own talking to the backline rental company for anything I can't possibly fly with. So that's, you know, its own stressful way to travel. But I sort of got it down to a science in the gear that I used and and making sure that everything will always fit and all the checked baggage will always be accepted and having my backup plan if an instrument gets smashed, you know, having a, having a laptop with backups of all my patches so I can just go to Guitar Center, buy a new one and sort out the insurance later, being yes. ready for those contingencies. But when I got hooked up with this situation Last February, it very quickly became apparent that this was going to be, you know, sort of traveling in the old school, comfortable buses and trucks style where I can have all my own gear. I've got techs to set it up. Uh, You know, everything rides on the truck. They take care of any repairs that are needed while we're on the road. These guys can fix anything. Roland McKay and, and Jeff Owsley are sort of tag teaming, setting up my overcomplicated keyboard rig every day, and they do an amazing job. And then the traveling, too, is, you know, it's, I mean, it's what I always dreamed of as a kid, you know, riding on a tour bus. Uh, it's, it's just comfortable. You've got your home, your tra- little traveling home there right outside the venue. Uh, and that, that's mostly how this band travels. The short little run we're on right now is an exception just because it's so short. There wasn't any point in getting buses. But for most of our big cross-country tours, we fly to the first city. We maybe have a day of rehearsal. And then we hop on the bus, and that's our rolling home with hotel rooms on days off. And uh, and for the band guys to shower in, we'll usually have rooms, So it's just a very comfortable, very civilized way of traveling we roll into the venue at three o'clock and everything's already set up and ready for our sound check and then we're just killing time until the gig and then you know hop on the bus and sleep our way to the next one it's uh yeah you know it's everything i dreamed it would be and it i'm still the luxury of that as somebody who never thought he would get a gig like this is still not lost on me
0: (laughs) talk a little bit about food how does that sort itself out
1: well again it sorts itself out better than the van tour where you're (laughs) where you're eating fast food or you know truck stop food it's uh usually you know you've you've got the you get the hotel breakfast uh you've got uh then if you're at the venue at lunchtime there's generally catered lunch at these venues that we're playing at and then there's you know dinner is catered as well quality varies but usually pretty darn good and uh, then you know, after show, there's usually a takeout order. You tell them what you want before the show, and then it's waiting on the bus when you're done. If you're a if you're a eat your last meal at night kind of guy, so again, you know, eating healthy is something that's and you know, for the vegans and vegetarians in the crew, it is a little more complicated. But usually, everybody can can get taken care of, and it's it's just another thing that's really made so much easier traveling in the style than in uh in vans in diy tours and i was so used to operating that way that for the first month or so traveling with these guys i you know felt guilty it's like <laughs> everything's being taken care of you know it's just like i'm just lazing around and getting fed and then showing up on stage for half an hour for sound check and then playing the gig but it occurred to me at the end of that first five week or so run that I never had a bad show. You know, I never, I never had that show where you walk on stressed out and out of breath and dehydrated or you know blood sugars out of whack because you've been eating like crap for the last three days. That just never happens. And so it occurred to me that that's why it's worth the money for a, for a larger band to travel this way because it allows the musicians to consistently perform, which is the only reason any of this is happening. Once I started to look at it more as a, more of a practical, you know, business decision, I stopped feeling guilty <laughs> about the uh about the spoiled rotten treatment that we get.
0: Let's talk a little bit about equipment. The keyboard you use, the accordion, um and some of the sonic nuance stuff you use.
1: Yeah, so the keyboard rig's a pretty big complicated thing. I've got a Nord Stage 2 which maybe 70 to 80 percent of the noise I make on stage comes out of. It's got great pianos, great Hammond organ engine, and a, and a nice rudimentary synth and sample playback engine. And then I have a Yamaha CP300, which I use as a weighted action for that. Those things are just bulletproof. I've got three of them now. Uh, this one that lives out on tour, and then I've got an old one that I've had bouncing around vans all around the country and single axle trailers for 10 years and <laughs> nothing's ever gone wrong with it, you know? So I was like, I'm just gonna get another one of those. They're great, you know, they they weigh a ton, but they're built like a tank. And then I have one of the new digital Mellotrons, the M4000D, which I use for some Mellotron string sounds. Heart uh, uh, was big with the Mellotron sounds back in the day and Anne is a big Moody Blues fan, so. Oh, yeah, She loves hearing those Mellotron sounds and i love using them too they're kind of like a like an audio laser beam you know no matter no matter how quiet they are they still cut through you can still tell that they're there which is those textural elements in a dense rock mix that's a great thing for a keyboard player to have and then uh, the final thing is a dave smith instruments ob6 which is a, a beautiful analog synthesizer that they've been making here for a couple of years Really kind of covers the territory of of the old OB8 and OBXA and that classic Tom Tom Oberheim era. He partnered up with Dave Smith to make this this OB6, and it's just been great, super reliable, great sounds. It's got a little built-in step sequencer that I use on a couple of things, and uh, an arpeggiator that works fantastic. That's the keyboard rig, pretty much. I have a lot of other pedals and accessories and things got a uh, lounsbury pedals tall and fat which is kind of a gain and overdrive pedal that i run my organ sounds through and uh, a neo instruments ventilator mini vent actually that's my leslie simulator and i'm kind of stockpiling the first generation of those because they they sound great and they just work really great with how i've got all my pedal boards set up But that's basically the keyboard rig. And then on the accordion, it's a Potosa Accordion Little Pro X. And they've been just amazing. I kind of splurged on that. It was one of the most expensive instruments that I ever bought, but it's been totally worth it. It sounds great, plugged in, very natural sound, coming through the PA. And then that is what I run through the Sonic Nuance Electronics MDI. Uh, I, I just was looking for a DI that had that Jensen Transformer sound quality and you know it's kind of rock-solid, rotable reliability, but also had a mute switch. It just seemed like a like an obvious void in the market needing to be filled and I googled around and and found Sonic Nuance there and was. yeah there you were and I, I got my first one of those I think maybe a year or two before I started out with Anne. ANN. And then when I got this gig, I just got another one that could live with all the, that could live with the and touring rig. So all I had to fly in with was my accordion because I take that home between shows. Everything else just stays on the truck, goes into storage facilities in Nashville or L.A. or wherever between runs. But the, the accordion I fly home with. So I've got my own MDI back at home for local gigs and, and for gigs with
0: other artists. Interesting. I didn't know that stuff gets stored like that. That makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. Can you tell me how session work has opened up opportunities for you, in particular with uh, technology being to the point where a lot of home equipment is ridiculously high quality for the price?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I resisted that for a long time investing in a home recording setup. I didn't want to piecemeal it. I was just like, well, I just support my buddies that own recording studios when I need to do session work for people. But eventually, uh, about four years ago, I decided it was time to take the plunge. And uh, that's, you know, that's really helped a lot. It's kind of double, doubled my the amount of session work that I do, which being based in Seattle... It's not as big a recording town as LA or Nashville is, but uh, the projects that are there are are very cool. But then having relocated from Oklahoma uh, seven or eight years ago, I wanted to keep up with my people there and still be able to play on records back there with people that I knew, working with producers that I know, without them necessarily having to incur the expense of flying me back. Uh, so for people that are, that are multi-located or have, you know, sort of moved from city to city as their career has grown, having a home tracking rig so you can still work for producers and artists that are no longer in your location, it's huge. You know, I find that I don't get a lot of random, you know, nobody like looks up my website and wants to hire me for a session or sees me on an Ann Wilson gig and wants to hire me for a session. Again, like everything else, it's word of mouth. Still, even for work in town sometimes, they just want a Hammond part down, but they don't want to burn up half a day in the studio getting me in, dragging my Hammond in, miking it up. They want to be editing drums or whatever else they want to do that day. So they can just send me a stereo mix. I'm set up to record at home. I send it back, four or five takes usually in a comp, or just tell them which one was my favorite. And then that way, if they want to do some editing, they can. But uh, most of the time I try to give them one, they can just drop in and 90% of the time they'll be happy with that.
0: What kind of equipment do you use and what do you think is a minimum for anyone who wants to do that type of work?
1: Well, it kind of depends on what you need to record. I started with the Apogee Quartet because I needed four inputs uh, as a keyboard player who wants to record Hammond sounds. You, you want to have two on the top and one on the bottom and maybe a room mic at least. So that's sort of what got me into that. And then I have uh, a couple of Bayer M160s, which is a cardioid ribbon mic. And that's great for home applications because you get that nice ribbon mic sound. But if your room sound maybe isn't the best, it matters less with the cardioid pickup pattern compared to most ribbons, which are traditionally figure eight so those are great and they're you know 700 bucks a pop which is you know considerably cheaper than say a Royer although Royers are amazing and I do eventually want to get a pair of those as well and then I have a Mojave Audio MA301 for when I need a large diaphragm condenser type of sound got an EVRE20 that I usually use on the Leslie bottom rotor I just picked up a super Uh, ORTF stereo mic, which I expect to use quite a bit on acoustic piano. I have a couple of upright pianos of various degrees of funkiness. Those those stereo ORTF ORTF mics sound very good in that application, so looking forward to getting home and playing around with that some more. And uh, then recently I upgraded my mic preamps. I had been using the built-in preamps in that Apogee Quartet, and they're great, very transparent but i also wanted to have something that i could uh get a little bit more out of and so i i picked up a couple of uh hairball audio Lola's. hairball audio is a company based in seattle that sells mostly build kits and uh you know i'm i'm not to be trusted with a soldering iron so <laughs> i bought uh bought a couple of the kits and then handed them off to my buddy johnny sangster who was who was home from the road and didn't have any studio projects booked up and uh, he runs uh, crackle and pop recording studios in seattle so i uh, gave him the kits and said (laughs) tell me what you need me to pay you for your time and had a couple of beautiful working preamps uh, a week or so later so those i highly recommend they've been really great on all the mics in my locker so
0: great uh in closing could you do you have any last thoughts on what you want to share with people considering a career in music?
1: Well, it's, um, you know, it's not easy. (laughs) The, uh, I, I have sort of backed my way into it slowly. Uh, back when I was in high school, you know, I was trying to decide whether I was going to get my, you know, degree in industrial engineering and computer science or a degree in jazz studies from Indiana university at great out of, state tuition expense and an old uh well not old uh but an experienced gentleman who worked at the music store that I worked at at the time a great drummer named Cleve Warren you know I was telling him about my dilemma as I was getting ready to graduate high school and I was expecting him to give me the follow your dreams speech and instead he gave me the get the engineering degree you dummy (laughs) speech but with the with the proviso that I should always keep playing and so I kept playing through college I always played in the jazz band so no matter how busy I got with engineering I was still playing demanding music three hours a week in rehearsals and performing on a semi-regular basis I did that and then the other thing he said was when you you know once you get out in your career if music is important to you find a find a way to design your career such that there's still room for music. And I've been very lucky over the years working with uh, bosses and colleagues that were understanding of and supportive of my music career. It's just slowly shifted, and I've gotten to do more and more things that I dreamed of doing with music over the years. And doing it that way rather than the other way around, for me, as a sideman, that turned out to be a much easier path. Through the, through the struggles of you know, making music in the 21st century. All I can say is I highly recommend that approach. It's, it's not for everybody. If I was a songwriter and trying to write, I'm sure I would find it a lot more demanding to come home at the end of the day and really be creative on that level. As a sideman, you're just kind of coming in and adding the icing on other people's cake. And so it, it demands less of you in your downtime. You got to prep of course and do your homework so you can kill it on the gig it's not as hard as as trying to be a writer or trying to be an original artist but for for the sidemen out there i highly recommend this path try to find a job that will be flexible and and let you play music and and do both it's the best of both worlds until we have universal health care in this country (laughs) then it might be a different story
0: Thank you so much for your time. This has been a great interview. I learned a lot. I hope my listeners will as well.
1: Thanks, Ted, it's been great and thanks for
0: making such great gear. Thank you for listening to this Sonic Nuance Electronics Podcast. Please also see our blog at sonicnuance.com which has more articles on performance, equipment, as well as interviews. Sonicnuance.com has handmade rugged direct boxes with phantom powered chromatic tuners as well as instrument and headphone extension cables. All products are designed, tested, and made in the USA for the ultimate in fidelity and durability. Sonic Nuance Electronics, simply sound.